السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله وحده وصلى الله وسلم على من لا نبي بعده وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين My brothers, my sisters At the time of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him He came, invited his people, gave them a message What was that message? The message was to worship your maker alone and no one else. Any act of worship you'd like to render should be only for he who made you. That was the message. And he whom you are going to return to ultimately, the same maker. And then he taught them the way that this maker wants to be worshipped. You declare his praise. You declare his greatness and grandeur and you bow and prostrate for him and him alone. And then he made clear rules and regulations filled with the highest level of morals and values and discipline. And then he taught the importance of reaching out to others of the same species. And then he taught the importance of preserving the entire ecosystem because its use is not just for yourself. By preserving the ecosystem, you're actually contributing towards the healthy flow through the generations of not only humankind, but animals and all other species. He taught being disciplined in a way that we're kind not just to one another, but to animals and to everything else. And so there were people in Mecca who were the leaders, Abu Jahl, Al-Akhnas ibn Shuraiq, and a few other names. They were leaders in Mecca. They looked at this young man, 40 years old, come up with a message blemishless. He never called towards worshipping him. Never. He said, don't worship me. Worship the one who made me. That was Muhammad, peace be upon him, calling towards the worship of the maker. Allah alone. These people felt disturbed by this powerful message. If they agreed and acknowledged it, it would ruffle the feathers throughout community and society. And it would create a huge disturbance according to them. Because they were the bosses and the leaders sitting on the seats of rule at the time. And if they were to acknowledge this man is right, they would have to respect him. And if they respected him, they would lose something worldly which they had. And so the leaders, the bulk of them, rejected the message. The wealthy, the bulk of them, rejected the message initially. Who were the first people to accept the message? Do you know? Amazing. Number one, his wife. Subhanallah. His wife believed him before everyone else. I want to ask you for a moment this evening. 
How many of us, your spouses, would actually just immediately believe you when the whole world didn't yet believe you? I see the youngsters smiling, nodding their heads. Brother, are you married? You are married? Mashallah. May Allah bless you in every single way. The other brother's also married. Mashallah. Young, young. Mashallah. Don't worry, I married at 19 and now I'm 48 and a grandfather, mashallah. And I can tell you, subhanallah, my beloved brothers, my sisters, how many of us, our family members and our best friends would believe us if we told them something that was almost impossible for others to believe? Why would they believe you? You know why? Because you've never lied before. If you didn't lie about money matters and material things, why would you lie about the heavens? Why would you lie about something unseen? If you really wanted to lie and you were a liar, you would lie about money matters and try and earn more and con people and get more and have more because that's what you wanted. But they said clearly, if he said it, it's the truth. Allahu Akbar. He was known as As-Sadiq Al-Ameen. From the beginning, Allah preserved just like he preserved all the other messengers. Jesus, may peace be upon him. Moses, may peace be upon him. Abraham, may peace be upon him. Ishmael, may peace be upon him. Isaac, may peace be upon him. Those are the English names in Arabic. Ismail, Ibrahim, Ishaq, Yaqub, Dawood, Sulaiman, Isa, salam. May Allah's peace and blessings be upon all of them. They were all known as truthful people in their communities. But more so, Muhammad, peace be upon him. At a time when people used to lie and cheat, you know, when he entered the marketplace and he found people trying to sell dates later on. And the top of the dates was lovely, mashallah, looking amazing. How much do you want? I want a kilo. As they take the kilo from the bottom, all wet, rotten dates. And so he noticed this and he said, Ooh, man ghashana falaysa minna. Whoever deceives us in any way, shape or form, is not from amongst us. You don't deceive. So he was a man at a time when deception was, wow, rampant, known as truthful and honest, straight from the beginning, no blemish, never ever. It is recorded that not once was he known to have told a lie in his life. May Allah protect all of us. May Allah protect all of us. Sometimes we just, a simple lie that really you didn't have to lie. Why did you lie? Worst case scenario, just keep quiet, close your mouth. They say, did you? You say, mm -mm. at least I didn't lie, right? I didn't lie. But Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam was amazing. Known as the truthful, the day he came, gave the message, the first person, his wife, thereafter, his cousin who lived with him, Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu an, a young man, and he believed him. Then his best friend, what was his name by the way? His best friend, what was his name? Abu Bakr. Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu an, they used to call him Abu Bakr, but his name was actually Abdullah. Did you know that? Did you ever know that? His proper name was Abdullah. Did you know that? They used to call him Abu Bakr. The real name, Abdullah. Abu Bakr ibn Abi Quhafa, and Abu Quhafa was his father's name. They used to call him Abu Quhafa, but his father's name was actually Uthman. Did you know that? So he was Abdullah ibn Uthman. If I tell you Abdullah ibn Uthman was the best friend of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, you'll say, no, it was Abu Bakr. I'll say that's one and the same person. MashaAllah, MashaAllah. 
learned something, right? Abdullah ibn Uthman, the best friend of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, as soon as he said, worship your maker alone, he said, I'm with you. Khalas, worship him alone, leave everything else. We worship he who made me. What do you say? Oh, you who made me, you are the greatest. Oh, you who made me, I owe my head on the ground for you and you alone because you made me. Oh, you whom I'm going to return to. I worship you. I, I love you. I, everything about me is controlled by you. I'm going to return to you. I know you're merciful. You're kind. You're great. You're generous. You're the most beneficent, the most forgiving and so on. They loved it. They loved it. This concept of Godhood never before had they heard of it. Allah sent him to warn a nation whose parents and forefathers were not warned. Subhanallah. But guess what happened? A band of people found it a little bit difficult. You know, one day Abu Sufyan went up north and where the Romans were ruling, they asked him about this man who had come up in Arabia with the message. One of the questions they said is, what type of people follow him? Abu Sufyan was a leader of Quraysh at the time. He says, you know, the downtrodden, not the wealthy or the powerful, but the others, the ones in society that are looked down upon and so on. And so he was told, well, that's a sign of a true messenger. Look at Jesus, may peace be upon him. Who followed him initially? Look at Moses, Musa alayhi salam. He had his people who was against him, the powerful, the wealthy, the Pharaoh and so on, right? So the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, as time passed, more and more people began to say, you know what, forget about all this wealth and property and whatever else it is, we have to follow this man. He is right. You know, Khalid ibn al-Walid was a master warrior and a wealthy man from a beautiful family. Khalid ibn al-Walid ibn al-Mughira. That was his name. He says, I fought the Muslims many times. And I promise you, I knew from day one, this man is prohibited. We will never be able to harm him. Somehow he's protected with something. Subhanallah. He says, I knew it from day one. And it took him a while. Even in Uhud. When the Muslims suffered losses, Khalid ibn al-Walid says, I knew the victory is not going to be ours and we're not going to overcome these guys. What did he do? In Medina later on, his brother had become a Muslim prior to him. What was the brother's name? He had the name of his father. So his name was al-Walid ibn al-Walid. Right? Any of you have children with your name? Siraj ibn Siraj. No, we don't. Okay. Al-Walid ibn al-Walid ibn al-Mughira became a Muslim earlier. He went to Medina Munawwara and the Prophet, peace be upon him, used to call him, hey, come here. So he comes and sits down. Where is Khalid? Obviously, it's a good question, right? Where is Khalid? Well, with us, mashallah, we have WhatsApp, we have everything, right? At that time, he says, well, he's still in Mecca. The Prophet, peace be upon him, filled with love and kindness. Love and kindness said, 
Allah will bring him. He will come. Why? Ma mithlu khalidin yajhalul Islam. A man as intelligent as Khalid cannot be ignorant of the uprightness of this message that I've brought. He can't. What am I calling you towards? Discipline. What's so big? What's so wrong about that? I'm calling you to stop intoxicating yourself, to be modest, to help people, to be the best version of yourselves, to worship your maker alone, to, to discipline yourself completely. That's what I'm calling you towards. And I've never called you towards praising me, worshiping me as a person. Guess what? A few days later, there comes a messenger from the outskirts of Medina, that Khalid wants to come in. Khalid wants to come in. Oh wow, subhanallah. This is not the first time the messenger prayed, may peace be upon him, for someone, they came. Who knows who else the Prophet, peace be upon him, prayed for in the early days, and they came. Say a name. Omar, mashallah. Do you know what happened to Omar? Omar was a man who went out literally to murder the Prophet, peace be upon him. And he was angry. He took his sword. He walked out of his home in Mecca in the early days and said, I'm going to just kill this man and everything's going to be solved. Because this community has been divided. There are people who, who are divided now and we all used to be one. What's the problem? And as he walks out of his house, you know, his friend saw him and says, hey, where are you going? He says, I'm going today to do this. He says, well, now he thought, you know what, I need to divert this man. What should I do? He says, you know what, your sister has accepted his message. Why don't you start with her? Go and see them. The sister was married to, Fatiba bint al-Khattab was married to Khabbab ibn al-Arat, radiallahu anhu. And so he knocks on the door of his sister and opens the door. And they quickly, they were reading parchments of the Quran. It wasn't printed like we have today. Little, little parchments with a few words of the Quran and verses. And they quickly put it away as he walked in and he immediately began to abuse them. He became violent. What are you doing? Why do you follow this man? And so on. And a little while later, because he attacked her physically, she began to bleed. When he saw the blood, he calmed down. Hey, that's my sister, man. He calmed down. A little bit. Well, tell me what, you, what are you guys doing? Well, we were reading the Quran. Where is it? I want to see it. Wait, hang on. You're going to have to wash a little bit here because you know there's a level of purity that you need to arrive at before you start reading something spiritual so high that it's the word of God Almighty so that at least your mind and your body and everything is ready to receive. To receive. What's the point of cleaning yourself before the prayer or before reading the Quran. What's the point? I tell you what the point is. The point is to arrive at a level of purity that, that prepares you to benefit in the correct sense and receive the blessings of what you're about to do and the true benefit of it. That's why I've got to clean. People say, why should I clean? It's, just the, it's not just a book. This is the word of Allah. When I make an effort to respect it, I will honor its message. Imagine someone gives you the constitution of a nation you might be a citizen of and they tell you, do you know what? I keep this. And you have a copy, the one copy in your community or whatever it might be. It's just a simple example, by the way. You look after it. Hey, wow, what's that? Hey, that's the constitution, guys. You better read and look at here. Well, here we have the word of Allah. So Umar ibn al-Khattab washes up 
and he looks at it and it answers as he reads the first few verses it answers a burning question in his heart what did i say moments ago what does islam teach you discipline discipline you got to dress like this you got to stand like this you got to walk like this you got to talk like this you got to act like this you got to pray at these times you got to do this you're not allowed to intoxicate yourself you must do that and don't eat this type of thing and you can only eat this type of thing all those are rules and regulations why should i bother i'm a human being what should i do all of this for well i tell you umar bin khattab had the same burning question they used to say the quran is revealed to make people's lives difficult that's what they used to say he read the first verses of which surah by the way taha there's some genius this side here somewhere mashallah may allah bless you there's a few probably this side but i'm slightly deaf in this ear that's just a bonus by the way taha ma anzalna alayka alquran litashqa إلا تذكرة لمن يخشى تنزيلا ممن خلق الأرض والسماوات العلا Amazing, amazing verses of the Quran. Allah says, Taha. We have not revealed this book to you, O Muhammad, for it to be a means of your inconvenience or distress question answered this is not in order to distress you or inconvenience it's actually for your benefit wholesale this quran is not revealed so that you can become a person whose life is difficult and hard no it is a reminder for those who fear the Almighty. And I always say, when people ask, how can I worship a Lord whom I'm supposed to be frightened of? And I say to them, no. That's not the proper translation of it. It doesn't mean I'm frightened. I love Allah. I love Maker. He made me. He gave me an opportunity. To worship him, surely he loves me too. But when you love someone so much, there is an element of fear within you to disturb that relationship. Anytime, anytime, any one of us, you've been in love before? I don't want to say put up your hand because, you know, it might be a bit embarrassing. Especially to those of us who are not yet married, right? But you can love your parents, your children, even if you're not married. You could love someone for as long as you didn't do anything wrong with them. Yeah? Is that right? Is it a fatwa? What that means is if you do love someone, feast for the sake of Allah, you've done nothing wrong with them. It's okay. You have your limits and lines. But there's no harm. I really love this person for the sake of Allah. Good. But if you love them for the sake of shaitan, you've got a problem. You need to ask yourself every time there's something like that, do I love this person for the sake of Allah or shaitan? So I asked one of the youngsters, is it Allah or shaitan? He says, neither Allah nor shaitan, just for myself. I said, oh, these kids of today have got cash answers for everything, man. So you love Allah and you know he loves you. When you love someone, you fear 
to do something or say something that might disturb the relationship. I love you so much that I don't want to say something that might create a disturbance in my relationship with you. Imagine you love someone so much and the next best thing they see your phone and there's a message to someone else saying I love you. Oh, you're dead. You're dead. You're going to have to explain an encyclopedia, right? So what is that? It's an element of fear. I love my wife so much, but I don't want her to see my phone. Okay, why? She might misinterpret what has happened here. <clears throat> I'm sure you didn't type in Chinese, did you? So Allah Almighty, when Allah says, reminder to those who are fearful of the disturbance of the relationship with their maker. There we go. But I love Allah and he loves me back. What do you fear? I fear this breaking this relation or disturbing it in any way. I fear the punishment and the wrath of the one who's the most merciful. That is something amazing. When Allah describes himself as the most merciful, the most kind, the most forgiving, the most honoring, the most this and the most that. And then he tells you, but I'll punish those who deserve the punishment. You got to tell yourself, you got to be really, really nasty to go that side, right? If you seek forgiveness, Allah forgives you. If you love him and you tell him you love him and you ask him to forgive you and you always declare, you know, I'm a human, you've created me human. I've faltered, I've done things wrong, I've done whatever, this way, that way. I didn't do it out of defiance of you, O oh my Lord, but I did it out of the human weakness of mine. And this human weakness, O oh my Lord, make me strong in a way that I can improve my relationship with you on a daily basis. That's what we're taught. So Allah tells you, we didn't reveal this book to you in order for it to be a means of your distress. When he read this, ooh, he was calmed. Why? How did the Quran answer such a burning question in the heart of an individual who only came across a certain parchment with a limited number of verses on it? Doesn't it happen to you and I where you need something and suddenly you see something pop up somewhere? Wow, that's exactly what I needed today. Doesn't it happen? You need to, you're going through a problem and the next best thing, you see a little clip of someone saying, hey, hey, don't worry, we know your problem, but... And you say, how do you know my problem? They don't. It was Allah who just sent it to you to say, relax. Go easy. So something amazing as he sees this verse, Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu, he softens. It is the revelation from the one who created the earth and the skies. He immediately crumbles. He says, take me to Muhammad. Oh, wow. Take me to Muhammad. The tone this time was different from the tone the first time. When he says, I'm going to him in order to eradicate him. Now he says, take me to him. So they got him across and as they walking, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, had made a supplication slightly earlier to say, Oh Allah, we are 39 of us who have accepted the message. How many? 39. Very early days, right? Strengthen us by the surrendering to you of one of the two powerful men of Quraysh. Who were they? Amr ibn Hisham. What was his other name? Abu Jahl. Wow, I see you want to equalize, huh? Liverpool, Manchester. Okay. So, <laughs> so, mashallah, Amr ibn Hisham was known as Abu Jahl. This Abu Jahl 
And on the other hand, you had another strong man in Quraysh, Umar. Umar was feared. He was a solid, powerful man. When he walked, trust me, people feared the direction from which he came. The Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, says, if Umar walks down a gully, shaitan doesn't walk down the same gully, he walks with another one. That's how powerful he was. It's a hadith. So he says, Oh Allah, strengthen Islam and strengthen us by the surrendering to you of one of the two powerful men, one of the two powerful Umars. You know, in the Arabic language, you spell Amr exactly like Umar, but with a wow after it. Exactly the same. And you spell Umar without that wow. So they call Umarain, the two Umars. And then suddenly you find the incident happens. This man is walking towards the house that the Prophet, peace be upon him, was at. What was, what was the name of the companion whose house he was in at the time? Al-Arqam. Ibn Abil Arqam. 2-2. Okay. Now, at the door they find a man, another powerful man of Quraysh. He was already a Muslim. His name was Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib. Okay. And he sees Umar walking. He sees him walking with Khabbab ibn al-Arat. They're coming towards the home. He sees him with a bit of blood. He sees a sword in his hand. And he's coming in. He says, we want to see the Prophet. This man's also powerful. What did he say? He knew of the supplication of the Prophet. So he knew this man's coming surrendering. But in the meantime, because there was a weapon in his hand, and because he had, according to one narration, he had a little bit of the remnants of the blood because remember he abused his sister earlier and so Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib says Allahumma hadha Umar Oh Allah you know this is Umar if he if you would like goodness from him he will say his shahada here he's going to enter Islam and if he intends any harm make it easy for us to overcome him here and now as he enters the door, he looks at the Prophet, peace be upon him, with the eyes of love. Wow. Transformed in literally a few minutes as he walked in. He says, Ya Rasulallah, inni ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah, wa ashhadu anna ka'abduhu wa rasul. Oh, Messenger of Allah. Now, you know when you address someone, Hey, I don't know you. Sometimes a vulgar word, I don't want to use a vulgar word, but you know what they are. They're quite decorative here in Leicester. Am I right? See the youngsters nodding. Younger you are, the more you know, unfortunately. The wrong words. Us older guys, we only know the few basic swear words, right? Astaghfirullah. May Allah protect our tongues, all of us. Honestly, we end up using them, unfortunately, now and again, without even realizing you've said a swear word. In fact, the F word, by the way, is being used just as though someone's doing dhikr of shaitan. Really, the way people use it in their speech, sometimes good people, you wouldn't expect, brother, your beards to your belly button and look at the Fs, man. Astaghfirullah, may Allah protect us. Okay. So, when a person addresses you, you automatically know, you know, honorable sir, you, you know this man is full of respect, right? He says, Ya Rasulullah, oh messenger. The minute you say, oh messenger, you, you've just acknowledged something, right? You've acknowledged the big one. He says, I bear witness there is none worthy of worship besides my maker alone. And I bear witness that you are a messenger of his, of Allah's. And the Sahaba, the companions were amazed. They were shocked. 
they were, mashallah, they were all in their takbir modes. He was the 40th person to accept Islam. The first thing he says is, oh messenger, I want to ask you a question. What's the question? Are we not on the truth? Are we not on the true path? And he was a brand new Muslim. And so, the Prophet, peace be upon him, says, yes, we are. He says, well, then why should we be afraid of going towards the masjid and praying? Let's go. So there were 40 of them. They made two rows and they started marching towards the, the haram in Makkah, meaning the masjid. For the first time, all of them were going. Wow. And some people just looking, hey, these people have got some powerful men with them now. We, ca we can't even harm them. There was Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib at the front of one of those rows. And here's Umar walking in front of the other one with his sword. Who's going to dare touch them? What happened? They were strengthened. So what happened? The prayer of the Prophet of goodness for an enemy worked. It worked. Have you tried ever praying for the worst of enemies that Allah guide them? The problem with us, we curse our family members. Small things. They say, Astaghfirullah, may Allah forgive us. You know what that means? It's an Arabic swear word. May Allah curse your father. Without you realizing your father and theirs, same person by the way. That's an Arabic swear word. Or should I say it's a curse? Not really a... It's a curse. Don't say good things about people. Pray for goodness, even from those who seem negative. Because when the goodness comes, wallahi, you will benefit from it as well. No matter how bad they are to you, they couldn't have been worse than what the Prophet, peace be upon him, faced from those people. And he prayed for them. So, as... The numbers grew. There were still people who had a lot who found it very difficult to accept. So what did they tell the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him? The Quran makes mention of this. They started telling him, your God is false. Your God is false. If your God is true, we want you to do X, Y, Z for us. And they came up with impossible things. There are so many miracles in the life of Muhammad, peace be upon him. Just like there were miracles and there are in the life of Jesus, may peace be upon him. And Moses, may peace be upon him. And, and all the others. So many miracles. But the miracles do not necessarily come depending on what was demanded of the man by the people. But it came as what Allah wanted. So they said, and Allah mentions this in the Quran. وَإِذْ قَالُوا اللَّهُمَّ إِنْ كَانَ هَذَا هُوَ الْحَقَّ مِنْ عِنْدِكَ فَأَمْطِرْ عَلَيْنَا حِجَارَةً مِنَ السَّمَاءِ أَوْ اِئْتِنَا بِعَذَابٍ أَلِيمٍ They said, O oh Allah, now they are calling out to the Allah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, if this is true, if this is true, what you've revealed and what you've sent, then we want you to send stones on us from heaven or punish us a painful punishment. What a silly prayer. What a silly prayer. Couldn't they have said, if this is true, we want gold and silver, right? If this is true, we really would like to see, we, we want to live a hundred years. If this is true, we want a multiplication of this or that. But instead, their brains were knocked to the degree that even the supplication they made, they didn't realize they were making prayers for their own destruction. Oh Allah, if this is true, we want you to send rocks from heaven or stones to punish us and we want severe punishment, painful punishment to descend on us if what you are saying or if what you've revealed is the truth. So Allah replies in the Quran. What does Allah say? 
وما كان الله ليعذبهم وأنت فيهم الله أكبر Allah says Allah was never going to punish them while you are in their midst wow did you hear that Allah was never going to punish them while the messenger was in their midst Allah did not punish anyone while the messenger was in their midst the punishment only came when they were separated if at all it did come subhanallah look at musa alayhi salam the prophet moses may peace be upon him when the pharaoh was crushed what happened moses and his people had already come out of that water and here's the pharaoh well within the water him and his cronies drowned see in this case, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, Allah is saying, while you are among them, we will not punish them. Which means anything that happened to them and a lot happened to them was not the punishment of Allah. It was a test from Allah. It was a sign from Allah. It was actually a point of pondering from Allah, a reminder from Allah for them to turn. But it was not a punishment because Allah says, Number one, before I go to the next part of it, I want to tell you sometimes in our midst, my brothers, my sisters, perhaps, perhaps there is a friend of Allah. Because of whom? Allah's not punishing us. So go easy on people. You never know. Sometimes you see someone dressed a little bit tatty, perhaps covered head to toe. You might think, ah, what is this person doing? You don't know who they are. You have no idea as to their closeness to Allah. And perhaps maybe they are so close to Allah that Allah is holding back from your own or my community or suburb or whatever it may be. A certain type of a punishment. It's, it's possible. If Allah said that, then it can be. And it would be. So go easy, respect everyone, talk to them in a polite way, greet them properly. What are you losing? So what if the person is dressed in clothes that haven't ever been ironed? Maybe they don't have an iron. So what if their hair is looking whatever? And so what if their beard is looking however? But greet them, offer them a little bit of respect. You might change a life. When people are acknowledged, wallahi, it changes lives. And not acknowledged because I want to sit and find out about you so I can gossip to the whole of Leicester as to what's going on in your life. No, I just want to greet you because of my maker. I'm doing good to you, not because I think you deserve my goodness, but I think that I know that the Almighty loves those who do good. So no matter who you are, I'm going to do good to you. How's that? Can you get to that level? Where you greet people, not because I think you're tall or you're short or you're poor or you're rich or you're this or you're tatty or you're whatever, or designer or non-designer. All that is besides the point. I greet you because you know what? You crossed my path and my Lord instructs me to be polite to all those who I come across. There it goes. I did it. Assalamu alaikum. They don't greet you back. I don't need that. Why? Because, because I greeted you. My Lord watched me. I got the reward for it. I'm gone. You didn't get the reward for the reply. It's not my problem. Right? It's yours. I'm never going to greet this guy because he never greets back. Oh, you've lost the plot. That's what it is. Keep greeting, whether he greets back or not. Why should you lose your reward because they've lost theirs? Common logic, right? So Allah says he doesn't punish them for as long as the messenger was in their midst. Then he says, 
وما كان الله معذبهم وهم يستغفرون and tonight this verse that i just recited is the highlight for me allah says and we will never punish them for as long as they are seeking forgiveness from us hence my brothers my sisters seek the forgiveness of allah on a daily basis so many times a day because you need to have good news the quran tells you that for as long as you're seeking the forgiveness of allah whatever calamity comes in your direction is not a punishment from allah it's not seek forgiveness no matter who you are what level you're on we're all on different levels some people appear is so pious but unfortunately their character and conduct is far from being pious they start thinking that they are the ones i'm pious i'm pious the guy comes you know what how can i greet these guys i am pious you're pious the minute you say you're pious you're talking about the meat pies that are made for ramadan yeah what pious subhanallah you pious how can i say i am pious who am i i'm not the judge allah knows piety allah is the one who judges taqwa the piety is judged only by allah so give people a break give them a chance remind them with goodness and at the same time when someone reminds me someone reminds you don't tell them stop judging me because it's just a reminder a judgment and a reminder are two different things don't be lost in the plot of the devil by saying hey don't judge me but hang on you're doing something clearly wrong i mean imagine a guy with a bottle and his friend tells him hey you're not supposed to be drinking my brother he says look at yourself first man don't judge me brother you've judged yourself can i take a photo and show you man it's just a piece of advice that's it you know what go easy on these things don't 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 drink man it's not good for you don't we tell people all the time about staying away from gambling and so many other things that are an abomination for people of faith subhanallah so my brothers and sisters say your istighfar oh allah forgive me oh allah forgive me one might say well why should i ask allah's forgiveness when i haven't even really committed a sin it's a good question the kids might ask and so the answer is quite clear the messenger peace be upon him was sinless but he used to say oh allah forgive me up to 100 times a day why for us to learn from his example elevation of status imagine when i did something wrong to you you know i have a friend of mine who was in primary school with me sitting right in front here so i'm looking at him all the time and i'm feeling a bit guilty i tell you what when we were little we weren't that naughty but anyway I remember doing a few things that perhaps he might not have liked. So imagine me coming up to him, hey, listen, hey, I'm sorry. Now it's been 40 years, my brother. We did that when we were eight years old. I say, I look at him now, 40, hey, brother, I'm sorry. You know what? Hey, shucks. I don't know what I did. Please forgive me. He's going to say, hey, are you okay? That was 40 years ago. You see? But each time I remember him and I look at him and I talk to him, and, hey, I remember the days. What does it do? It increases the bond, doesn't it? It makes you closer, connected. Hey, we're looking at the days when we actually did a few things and we, we cleared the air, but I keep saying, hey, sorry, man. You know what? I feel so bad about it every time I think about it, right? With Allah Almighty, you say, oh Allah, I committed adultery, forgive me. Allah's forgiven you the first time you ever said it. It's gone, wiped out in history. The next time you say it, two things happen. Number one, shaitan comes to you and makes you think that, you know what, you were not forgiven. Oh, watch out. It's his new trick. 
He came to you and made you do it, number one. Now that you came back to Allah, He wants to come to you and make you do something worse. What is worse? Worse is to doubt one of the qualities of your maker, which is the most forgiving, the most merciful. When Allah says, oh my worshippers, never lose hope in my mercy. Here comes the devil after you committed a sin and repented from it and tells you that you know what? Sorry man, the mercy of Allah is not for you. Oh, he's come to you from a more dangerous door. Don't allow that. That's number one, that happens. I sought forgiveness and shaitan comes to me and says, no, 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 you are not, you are not forgiven actually. No way, I'm forgiven. I know I'm forgiven. I have a Lord who's most forgiving. What are you talking about, man? Number one. Number two is, when you seek the forgiveness of Allah again, the second time, it elevates your status and brings you closer to Allah. And you seek it again a third time. I am asking Allah forgiveness a hundred times for the same sin, not because I am doubting the mercy of Allah. Not because I'm doubting whether I'm forgiven or not, but because I want to gain the closeness to Allah. Look at the example I gave you of a human being, which is a far lower example than that of Allah. You find it? So this is the message I have for you today. We had the disaster in Turkey and Syria. We've had disaster upon disaster. Something happened in Pakistan. Something happened in Afghanistan. A tsunami happened in Indonesia. Another quake happened in another area. People have suffered losses because of floods in so many countries, including some of the first world countries and so on. Is it a punishment or is it something else? The reality is for every individual, it is different. It depends on you and your relationship with your maker. If you've had a good relationship, well, Allah's taken you back to begin to enjoy the fruits of the hereafter. And if you've had a bad relationship with Allah and you've survived and it brought you closer to Allah, the biggest blessing that just happened was what happened. And if you've been forgetful of Allah and you've been driving yourself away and you've been defying your own maker, then only Allah knows. We can't call that a gift. We can't call that anything else. We have to say perhaps for those type of people, it was probably a punishment. But I'm no one to specify you, punishment. You, uh, it was goodness. For this one here, punishment. How do I don't know the hearts of the people. I'm not the owner of the hearts. I can generalize and say my brothers, my sisters, generally this is what it is. And here is the messenger saying whoever. In fact, Allah is saying punishment does not descend upon those while they are seeking forgiveness, something happens. That's not punishment. That's why don't let anyone fool you. Because why am I saying all of this? I overheard towards the beginning of all of this a few weeks ago, a youngster say, well, we're not going to donate because that was the punishment. Why should we donate? Oh, what did you just say? You need guidance. You need help. It could happen to me or you. If someone's car crashes on the M1, may Allah protect us. It's the same thing. If it, it's a loss, it's a type of a loss. Perhaps it's a smaller loss or less people are involved in it. But is it a punishment or not? The same rules apply. Imagine someone's made an accident and next best thing, they come out of it and say, Astaghfirullah, oh Allah, I want to become a much better person and have a better relationship with you. What was that? Wasn't that a gift of Allah? Beautiful. Sometimes we get sick and ill. And I tell you, illness and sickness for a believer is always a good thing because it's supposed to draw you closer to the Almighty. 
I've dealt with people who are terminally ill. And I've had to tell them, my brother or my sister, we pray that Allah cure you miraculously. Amen. And I take a moment to make a dua really for those who are sick and ill across the globe. May Allah grant you cure in a miraculous way. Amen. But still, if the worst case scenario happens according to the world, what would it be? Tell me. Sick, terminally ill. And the condition is going down. And then what happens? Suddenly I'm gone. It's happened a million times. It could happen to anyone. It has happened to so many people. It is happening now while we're talking, right? Now what? Our job is to instill hope within you in the mercy of your maker. Everyone's going to go back to Allah, even the healthy who are not terminally ill. So surely being ill is a gift of the Almighty because He's giving you an opportunity to prepare. Don't lose hope. It's going to be a little bit discomfort, meaning you'll have to endure some discomfort. And this, the word discomfort might be light. Probably more than just a little bit of discomfort. But you've got to go back to your maker. I was thinking about it two nights ago. I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I was sleeping and I went numb on one side, perhaps because of the way I was sleeping. And I thought to myself, you know what? I could have just gone in my sleep. What would have happened? And I'm looking at the room. I said, ah, well, they would have figured out this man's gone. They'd have, but where would I be? I'm sure I'd be in a much better place. Come on. Much better place. Subhanallah. No more gossiping and slander and abuse and what have you and all the little things here and there. I know I'm going to a better place. But guess what? If the Almighty has given you an opportunity to seek forgiveness and to make amends and to build a relationship with Him and to exchange your, your, your I love you's to, with Allah, what that means is you've had an opportunity of rushing towards Him so He comes towards you in a faster way. According to the hadith, you come to Allah, He comes to you in a quicker way. So I'm coming to Allah. I love you. Oh Allah, Allah says, you know what? I love you even more. That's how it works. That's how it works. Subhanallah. If Allah gave you that opportunity, why are you worried? That's why they say, when a person is about to die and you see them on their deathbed, what should you do? Number one, don't bring in their presence people whom they didn't like. Imagine you're about to die and you're struggling a bit and the next best thing you see, guys, you really hated and you know, now you're looking at them and what's going to be happening? So don't bring in their presence people they didn't really get along with. Keep them away. But those who are close to them and beloved, come and remind them of what? The good they've done. You've done a lot of good. Allah is going to forgive you and grant you the best status. And Allah will grant you and Allah loves you. And Allah will forgive your, your shortcomings. We all have shortcomings. What are you doing? You're preparing them for a good ending. Because the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, says that Allah says, I will treat everyone the way they perceive me. So perceive Allah in a good way. Think of Allah. And remember His mercy, His goodness, His kindness. Not everything that happens around you is actually a punishment, even though it's negative. But if it drew you a little bit closer to Allah, Wallahi, it was a blessing. For all of us who remain behind, mashallah, we have not yet been bothered or affected to that degree. May Allah not let it happen. Let me not even use the term yet. May Allah not let it happen. Well, we learned a lesson. What was the lesson? 
tapping. At least I'm, I'm going to do a few things in my life. It would be good. I'm going to be a little bit more kind to my family members, my so-and-so, perhaps my aging parents who belong to a generation, a previous generation. It happens. You know, when you have an age gap of more than perhaps 40 years at times, you begin to think so differently. You don't even understand each other. But those are your own parents. But your thought process is totally North Pole, there's is South Pole. It happens. Why? Because there's a generation gap. Doesn't mean they're bad people. Be patient. Go easy on them, like I always say. Never mind, take it. Let them say their peace. And you do your thing. For as long as it's not displeasing to Allah, you know you're okay. But don't make war. There might just be a few more days left for them on earth. And you didn't know. Make peace. Tonight, I want to end by telling you, my brothers, my sisters, if there is someone you're not talking to and they're related to you, first degree relation, go and make peace. If there is someone that you've wronged, apologize. If there is someone that something light has happened between you and them, light because I know if it's abuse beyond a degree, it's not easy to just let go. You know, one day I was saying, forgive your first degree relatives and someone comes up to me and says, I was raped by my father, what should I do? I said, stay away from him. Right or wrong? It's a reality, it has happened. So when we say this generally, we are not including the, the, the few exceptions that are there that we acknowledge have to be there at times. But I'm talking of generally. A lot of the times it's to do with a bit of money. Had a discrepancy, why? No, I was supposed to get so much for inheritance and I didn't. And they robbed me and they, hey, bugger it, man. You know what? This is worldly thing. Come on, a thousand pounds, ten thousand pounds, this way, that way is, is minor. And the guy says, what are you talking about? It's a million pounds. Well, how much are you getting? I'm, I'm getting 11. I'm supposed to get 12. Oh, come on. Come on. Just give me one of those and forget about the rest. What do you say? <laughs> Meaning, it's big figures. We become bigger enemies, right? Don't let it happen. Money, you're going to leave it. I've said, when we came onto the earth, we came with nothing. And on earth, we are fighting, fighting all our lives. We made enemies and friends and we did this and that. All for something that we're not going to take with us when we go. How's that? What was it? Money, material items. That's it. You came with nothing. Your whole fight on earth was all about material items. And then you're going to go back without that. So what? What was it all about? Yes, you've got to earn. You've got to live. You've got to have a few things. I'm not saying don't enjoy your life to a degree. But don't let that be the yardstick during your short life on earth, go beyond it. Have a bigger heart. Give. Allah Almighty tells us in a hadith Qudsi, Anfiq yabna adama, unfiq alayk. I love this hadith. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. I've benefited from it. And I swear by it. Spend, O son of Adam, and I will spend on you. That's what Allah says. Give. Donate. Spend on your spouse, your children, your family members, the poor from your family, the poor, the poor from your community, and go further and spend and feed people and give them and do this, and Allah will give you. He's the owner of sustenance. So may Allah Almighty make it easy for all of us, my brothers, my sisters, my sons, my daughters. It's been lovely to see you this evening. I pray that we've benefited from these few words. I want to really thank Abdullah Aid for having me here as a guest this evening and for all of you for having come to support the, the cause and the victims that have 
really been affected by the earthquakes that have occurred and the tremors that happened thereafter in the region that we know between Syria and Turkey and a few of the other countries. May Allah bless you all and grant us all goodness. Aqulu qawli hadha wa sallallahu wa sallam ala nabina Muhammad wa sallamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.